running a little late, aren't I? <laughs> uh, hey, I'd like to echo the sentiments of those uh, that were expressed earlier. Uh, to see Miss Penny here this morning and uh, to see Miss Mildred here this morning is a real blessing. Um, with both my sisters, uh, when I was at the visit them at the hospital and whatnot, and Penny on the day that she had gone in and uh, I was able to speak with her, uh, I drew confidence from her confidence in God, you know. Uh, sometimes that happens in your life where you try to be the encourager and you find yourself being the encouraged. And uh, it was the exact same thing with uh, Miss Mildred. And many of you guys who have been through difficult challenges in your life, um, situations that seem so large and uh, dark, and your confidence in God just wells up at those moments, and uh, your life is an encouragement to each of us at, at TDC. Love you, my sisters. Love you. And uh, we are so grateful that both of you are here with us this morning. Amen? Amen. We are in 2 Thessalonians. We are in chapter 3. We are closing this book out, but not this week. We're actually going to close this book out next week with a few short verses. And, uh, but today, uh, we're, we're going to be looking at several verses. Some we'll just read through. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 15. Now, if, um, if you remember how chapter 3 started out, it starts out as the Apostle Paul makes this transition, and he makes this transition using these four words, as for other matters. That's what he says. And then he goes on and he starts to address some things that hadn't, he hadn't previously addressed. He had shifted from uh, these other issues and he starts to deal with other matters. And the first other matter was the request for prayer that uh, uh, he, he asked of the people and the, and the brothers and sisters there in Thessalonica, right? That was the very first part of this. Well, the second part of this uh, as for other matters, the Apostle Paul is addressing idleness in the church. Or if you'll allow me to paraphrase that, some of these cats were being slackers, right? And so Paul was uh, dealing with some slackers in the church and whatnot. And, and there, there's really no other way of saying it. And, uh, but what I, what I understand is, and you understand this, as you begin to read the scripture, that when you begin to see things that are kind of manifest, uh, visually, it's because there's an undercurrent that's taking place spiritually. So what it looks like is that there's some people in the church there in Thessalonica who have abandoned their responsibilities uh, in hopes of a return of Jesus to the neglect of the body of Christ and also brought some reproach upon the message of the kingdom. And so the Apostle Paul is addressing this. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through these few verses. And there's some hard stuff in here, right? There's some hard stuff in, in this scripture. Because there's going to be some stuff in there that we're going to address that you're going to think, man, that's hard. It's hard because it's not in lock and step with the culture and how the culture deals with things. And so we watch this and we're like, ah, man, that's hard to subscribe to. But that's what the scripture teaches. And sometimes uh, we've got to uh, humble ourselves and, and disengage from what we think about certain things and certain strategies. And we have to embrace the strategies of the scripture. 
Because when we embrace the strategies of the scripture, then we embrace the strength, encouragement, and undergirding of God. When we abandon that and we embrace our own thinking and our own uh, uh, problem-solving skills and such, then the outcome of those situations are solely dependent upon us, right? So I want to be a person who then embraces the teachings of Jesus and the revelation uh, to the apostles and to the church. I want to embrace those teachings that I might then say of God, you're on the hook for the outcome and I'm not. Because God is more than willing, if we're willing to honor his word, to be on the hook for the outcome or the results of the decisions of our lives. Right? Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, I, I, we'll unpack this thing and, and we'll, we'll try to get a better understanding of, of what's happening here. So let's look at this in verse 6, chapter 3. It begins like this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive, and does not live according to the teachings you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And then he says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command. Now this is stout. This is hard stuff. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ, to settle down and earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Listen, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Listen, do not associate with them. Ow! Man, that's, uh Man, that kind of rubs you the wrong way, doesn't it? You want to kind of buck up against what Paul's saying here. He says, do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Ugh, we don't like that. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Let's pray because we're going to need God's help to navigate this. Right? Father, in Jesus' name, as your son, I want to navigate your word um, accurately. I want to be able to rightfully divide. I want to be able to distribute it uh, for myself as well as those uh, that have gathered here, Lord, under your care. I pray, Father, with a thankful heart this morning. I pray, Father, that you would speak to your sons and your daughters this morning, that everyone would see exactly the heart of God that you're wanting to express even in these scriptures that seem so difficult that seems uh, so hard at times. But I pray, Father, your heart be revealed in this. And then we would see it more clearly. And then when we read this scripture moving forward, we'll see, Lord, this silhouette, this backdrop 
of your grace and your mercy and your redemption, your desire to restore. Lord, I pray, I ask this. We as a body, as your body, ask this this morning in the name of Jesus and the sons and daughters of God said amen. Amen. All right, let's, let's look at this. Verse 6, chapter 3. Clark Evans, there you go. Thank you, my, my, my dear son. Is his mom in here? Oh, I thought I got one. I thought I got a point there. All right, listen, look at this. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Look how this scripture opens up, okay? It says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters... Right here, right off the bat, the Apostle Paul is given a directive, right, or a command, but he's not the authority, right? He's not the authority. Who is the authority? He says it right here in the, in the very first verse or that we're looking at in verse 6. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the authority. Paul is speaking a command delivered to him through the inspiration of the Spirit. But he wants them to know this isn't his command. This isn't his authority. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, must ask ourselves, I mean literally, right off the bat, every time we open the Scriptures, whose authority are we living our lives under? Am I living my life under the authority of God being the scriptures, a revelation through Christ? Or am I living my life under the authority of myself and I am the final say in what is right or, or in what is wrong? So right off the bat, you have to ask yourself, answer yourself, whose authority are you living your life under? Because every time we push back against God's word, we are declaring our independence from God and declaring our own authority. This literally, this literally is the essence of the rebellion that we find in the garden, right? When you go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, watch how this plays out. What ends up playing out is this, I know what's best syndrome. When we slide out from God's authority, we declare our own. We're basically saying, I know better. This plays out in Genesis. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. That's the authority. She declares it. This is what God said. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, right? Basically saying, if you step out under that authority, then you're going to have your own authority and you're going to be able to discern what is good and what is evil. I mean, this is literally the trap of all traps, the seduction of all seductions. And it's a simple seduction, and it's one to just to slide right out from under God's authority and God's word. One, 
The enemy wasn't asking them to walk a mile from God. The enemy was asking them to take a step away from God. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you think the enemy is going to seduce you, that you would run and separate your God by miles and miles, that's not the game plan. The game plan is to make you make these short, shifty moves away from God's authority over your life. It is those subtle decisions that start to create distance between us and God. And so the Apostle Paul, writing to this church at Thessalonica, he establishes right off the bat, when he's about to make these commands, the authority's in Jesus. Understand? Because if you understand the authority, you understand who you're answering to. They're not answering to Paul, they're answering to Jesus. Watch what he says here. This is the command, okay? Look at verse 1. The command to the brothers and sisters is this, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you received from us. Ataktos, the words right here in the Greek where it says idle and disruptive is actually just one word. But to translate it into English accurately, they literally translate it into two words so, so you'll understand the full scope of it. Ataktos. It means, there's a military application to this, it means to be disorderly or to break rank. Do you understand what it means when I say break rank? It means to look at a superior, that being a general, a commanding officer, and you being an inferior, someone who is subject to his authority. Basically it means for you to break rank, to step out from underneath his command. And that's what Paul was saying. He's basically saying, do not associate, do not engage with people who are breaking rank from the faith. And these are people, this isn't the world that he's talking about. He's talking about people within the church, in, in the church there in Thessalonica, who are basically breaking rank from the commands that God had given him to give to them. And so the question then becomes, if we're not living under God's authority, then we must realize that we're breaking rank. And so the question, rhetorical, so don't shout at me this morning, is are you breaking rank? Not rank for me. Because I have to ask myself, Mark, am I breaking rank? I've got to stay in the right posture and position under his command. So I'm not asking you if you're breaking rank from me or if you're breaking rank from the leadership of the church. I'm saying, are you breaking rank from God's authority? Then he says this. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Now listen, I can stop right there. I can stop right there and simply say the Apostle Paul was a man. And not only was he a man who, who lived out what he said, he also includes Timothy and Silas in that. Did you notice that? For you yourselves know you ought to follow our Example. The word example, mameo, may, mameo, may, in the Greek means to mimic or to imitate. Now, could you say, and this is the tough stuff, man, as followers of Jesus, we look at our children, we look at our, 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 our neighbors, we look at our, our, our wives, our, our, our parents, whoever they, might be, uh, whoever they might be, would we be able to look at them and be comfortable in saying to them, follow my example into eternity? That's hard, isn't it? 
That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Follow our example. Can we, would you be comfortable in your children, your loved ones, those that you hold dearest to you, entering into an eternal existence in the exact same condition you find yourself in right now? Would you have peace in saying goodbye to your loved ones with them leaving in the condition you find yourself in right now? Husbands, wives, children? Because that's what the Apostle Paul was saying right here. Then he goes on and he says this. He goes on. He says, we were not idle when we were with you. Right? Nor did we eat anyone's food, check this out, anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, listen to what Paul says. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Now let me, can I give you a little extra something here in regards to this scripture? The Apostle Paul basically says, hey man, you guys saw me. You saw us. You saw the way we conducted ourselves, man. You saw that. And the joker goes out and he says, we told day and night. And you know, even men who love God, women who love God, can toil day and night, can be fervently working for the kingdom, man, and still have needs. Do you realize this? Do you realize sometimes we can put all the effort we want to in a given task and still come up somewhat short? This is true. But let me say this of you, of, uh, say this to you this morning, that if you're honoring God in your endeavors, whatever they may be, and you're doing whatever you think God has called you to do, when the need is present at the end of the task, it is then incumbent upon God to meet whatever need is present because he's a need-meeting God. We understand this, do we not? I didn't say anything about meeting all your wants. I'm saying meet all your needs. So the apostle Paul right here having worked day and night told all three of those jokers, they still have needs. And you say, well, Trent, the Scripture doesn't say that they have needs right here in 2 Thessalonians. Where are you pulling that from? Well, let me tell you where I'm pulling that from. I'm pulling that from the Apostle Paul, who speaks regarding the time he was in Thessalonica. And it's in the book of Philippians. You know what he says? For even when I was in Thessalonica, he says to the Philippian church, you sent me aid more than once. When I was in need. Though he was still working. So let me just say that if your life is honoring God, God will honor you. God will honor. I, would, I just want to give that to you this morning. And then he says this. He says this. We did this not because we do not have the rights to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Hold on, hold on. Let me, let me go back and I want to read all this. So I want you to 
to get this as we transition. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. When he says model, tupos, it's the, it's the Greek word where we get typo or typewriter. And when he talks about being a model, he's talking about, you know how, you remember the old weighted typewriters? You know what I'm talking about, the old weighted keys? Felt much better to your fingers than the new keyboards, right? I mean, you felt a response. But you remember when you used to press those old keys and, and, that, and that, weighted, that, that weighted key would strike that paper? And sometimes, if you were like me, and you wasn't paying any attention to that little ribbon, you know, your, your ink had run out, and you're sitting there just popping it, Mark, pop, pop, pop. And all of a sudden, you can't see ink on the piece of paper, but what do you see on the piece of paper? You see the marking of that letter that's been struck time and time and time again. What the Apostle Paul was saying right here is, we are a model to you having been struck with the image of God over and over and over. That's what he's meaning by using that word. The image has been plastered into us. The image of Jesus has been beaten into us, struck multiple times. And then he says this, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. So this isn't a new thing, is it? So what he's talking to them about isn't something new. It wasn't a new revelation. It was an old revelation. So we come into church like this and we're like, hey, Trent, we've already been studying 2 Thessalonians. Why are we going back over 2 Thessalonians? I'll tell you why. Because you need to hear it. Why? You need to get it. Right? There's a difference in hearing it and getting it. I, kinda, I, I remember the old crazy story where a young pastor had come into town and, and, and man, he had, he had preached his first sermon at the church, man. And the, and the church people said, man, that, that sermon's on fire. That sermon was powerful. And man, as the church was dismissing, everybody lined up to shake the pastor's hand and said, man, that, that was incredible. Moving sermon, moving sermon. The next week, the pastor come in and preached the same thing. Without the same type of zeal, but with some zeal, they, they go back out and they say, pastor, that, that was good. Uh, not, you know, it, it sounds kind of like the one from last week, but that was a good sermon. Uh, the, the response wasn't quite as great. Third week, Preacher gets up, pulls out the same sermon, preaches the same sermon. He does it for four or five weeks. And all of a sudden there was this outcry from the leadership of the church and they said, Pastor, when are you going to preach something different? The pastor said, when you get this. And so the apostle Paul was saying right here, a model, being a model, is going to re require of us to be under God's care, under God's influence, under God's authority, being struck over and over and over, that we might produce, right, a state in our being, in our life, that we'd be able to look at other people and say, imitate me. Because you know what I want to be able to do? Mark, you know what I want to do, brother? You're in the wrong seat, brother. You're right in my, my line of sight. You're going to get it all morning, Jack. You... you you know what I really want to do in my life as a, as a dad? 
I want to be able to look at Taylor and I want to be able to look at Clark. And now, Ivy. And I want to say to them, just get as close to me as you can. Imitate me as I imitate him. And if you can do this, if you could do this, when that time comes, and that moment of the moment of transition happens, oh, the confidence that I will have knowing that's the life I want to live, Jay. I want to live like that. Colin, I want to live like that. That I don't, listen, I want you to live like that for my children as well. But I don't want to pawn that off on another. I don't want to leave the eternal destination of lives, of the treasures of my life, that being my children, to someone else to manage, and someone else to dictate, and someone else to influence. Why would I abandon that responsibility to another person? to be that type of a model or an example to those that God has given to me. Why would I do such a thing? How could I neglect such a great responsibility as to push that off onto another? And then the Apostle Paul says this, He said, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Basically, not workers, but they desire to look like workers. They, busy bodies, now check this out. Made up of two Greek words, para, gazame. Para means to go around or all around. Gazame means to work. These busybodies, these were cats that were going all the way around work. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. You know those cats you work with that do more work getting out of work? That, that's what I'm talking about. That's what, I'm ta that's what the Apostle Paul is saying right here. We got some cats and some slackers, man. That's what, he, that's what he's literally saying. The word paragazame, the, the actual proper application and understanding of that word would be this. Listen to this. To meddle, listen, going beyond proper boundaries. There are boundaries, but going beyond proper boundaries. Well, listen, where a person doesn't belong to fixate on what others are doing instead of doing what the person himself is supposed to do in reference to God. That's some heavy stuff. Did you know this word is only used one time in the New Testament? One time in the New Testament. You know where it's used? You just read it. You just read it. Right there. And here's what's, here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. He says of this, such people, these are the people he's talking about, these busybodies, this paragazame, right? Such people we command, listen, and urging the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down, listen, and earn the food they eat. What is the 
this implicate? What is this implying? It's implying that they were eating off of tables that other people had provided. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with benefiting from the work of other people. As long as the other people are benefiting from your work. Do you understand? But you can't benefit from the work, the spiritual work, the spiritual labor of others. You can't benefit it when they do not benefit you. Or you, they're not a benefit, they're a benefit to you, but you're not a benefit to them because you've neglected or gone around your responsibility. Do you get this? Do you understand what I'm saying? And then he says this, having mentioned all those, all those things, he says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And then he says this, in spite of all this going on, listen, in spite of all this going on, he says, as for you, the busy, not the busy, but the busy, the faithful, the one carrying out their responsibilities, whatever it may be, as for you, brothers and sisters, never tired of doing what is good. You know what he was saying? Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. I told Jay the other night I'd, I'd seen a video. I looked this up. I wanted to see it. In the 1957 World Series, and you can pull the video up. It's, it's great quality video, shockingly so. The New York Yankees were playing the Milwaukee Braves. And I know some of you guys are too young. You don't remember the Milwaukee Braves. You're thinking, Trent's wrong. It's the Atlanta Braves. Milwaukee Braves, they had a young player who played for the Milwaukee Braves by the name of Henry Aaron, who had later become known as Hammer and Hank Aaron, right? Home run champion, debatable by some to still be the home run champion. And all the Barry Bonds fans boo me from the platform, right? So Henry Aaron in the game four of the World Series comes up to bat, Yogi Berra, catcher of the New York Yankees. I don't know how many of you guys have watched the Yogi Berra documentary, Incredible individual, but uh, he, he was a talker. Not so indifferent than myself. Like to talk more. And what Yogi Bear would do is he would talk his team up and he would talk the other team down. Right? Here comes young Henry Aaron up to bat. He steps into the batter's box. Yogi starts talking. Yogi says to him, Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. Henry turns around and looks at him. He said, you should be holding the bat to where you can read the trademark. Watch the video. The very next pitch, Henry Aaron hits one into the bleachers into left field. He's running the bases, first, second, third. He approaches home plate. He steps on home plate. He looks at Yogi Bear and he says, I didn't come to the plate to read, but I come to the plate to hit. He wasn't being distracted. He wasn't losing sight of the task at hand, right? And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to these guys right here. He says, as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. If someone else isn't fulfilling their responsibility, do not let them suck the energy out of you from doing what is good. If they're stepping out from God's authority, all the more so, pin yourself. Deep under God's authority. That's what he's saying. Don't become disillusioned to where you would say, well, if no one else is going to do it, I might as well stop. No, keep doing it. If no one else does it, 
Keep doing it. If no one else shows up for church, you keep singing, you keep serving, you keep preaching, you keep, te- you keep teaching, you keep serving downstairs, upstairs, everywhere, regardless of what everyone else is doing. If you serve one child downstairs, for that's the only child who shows up, then you serve that one child as though they were a hundred. And they get your best. And that's what Paul was saying right there. He says, do, brothers and sisters, do not tire of doing what is good. Because you know why he says this? Sometimes when you're under the weight and you feel like, man, I feel like I'm carrying so much and so few are carrying. You know how discouraging that can become? You think Paul didn't know that? I wonder how Paul knew it. Paul probably felt that. Called to a great task. See some falling away and some doing well. You think he didn't feel the weight of that? He gives them the same command that he would give himself. That's what he says in 2 Timothy, isn't it? I fought the fight. I've kept the faith. Okay, Trent, get back on the scripture before you get on the rabbit trail. And then he says this, and we're closing, okay, in these two verses. Now, this is very, very important because this is the shifty stuff, okay? This is the hard stuff that we wrestle with. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in, the, in this letter and do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. First of all, he says something right off the bat that we never even consider when we read this scripture. Because you know why? We're fixated on the response to other people. And you know what it is? You know what he's saying? Know the instructions. Because what does it say? Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions. How can you take note of that if you don't know what the instructions are? Are you with me? You, t- you know what I'm talking about? you got to know what the instructions are. That's the very first thing. Before you can begin to discern, understand, Make decisions. You've got, you have to know what the instructions are. And then he says this. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Now there's two things that are happening right here. And the reason we have a difficult time with this is because we feel like this is judging. And there's something wrong in judging. That's the wrong Understanding of judgment. When Jesus says things along the lines of judge not lest you be judged, the term judging in that context is rendering a final verdict. A conclusion is what he's saying. He's called all of us to be judgers. Or judges, pardon me. He's calling them to judge. He's saying, take special note of those, what, who are not adhering to the instructions. You know how you have to do that? You have to judge who is adhering to the instructions. You have to be able to determine who is honoring the instructions. Until you can determine and discern who is doing what is correct, 
or what is wrong. You have to determine who is doing what is correct. You literally have to draw a line. Once you determine one group or the other, you have literally judged the other side of the coin. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to them. Take note. It isn't just take note of who is failing. He's saying take note of who is succeeding. Distinguish. It is absolutely essential to be able to see that clearly. Then he says this. This is the hard thing. Do not associate with them. Once you discern, once you distinguish, do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Let's unpack this. Now, this is one of the hardest Greek words I believe I've ever tried to pronounce for the word associate. Sunanignami. Yeah, say that one five times. Fast. Sunanignami. The word associate. You know what it means? To mix up together. To identify with. That's what it means. The Apostle Paul said, saying to those who were doing, guys, don't, don't mix things up, man. Don't mix things up. Because you know what happens when we mix things up? When we mix things up? Before you know it, man, the doers are the do-nots too. I mean, it happens. It happens. The Apostle Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. He says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That's what he's saying. Now, this is some really hard stuff. But I'm telling you, what he is saying right here, and this is not to get mixed up, he was literally saying, do not put yourself in a position that you will compromise. Do not identify with this. Do not be contaminated with this. Because bad company will corrupt you. If you're a doer and you engage with those who are not, you might find yourself. And he says in the scripture in 1 Corinthians, do not what? He literally, he literally says right here, do not be misled. Thinking you can be mixed up. You can embrace that and still, you can go into a field, into an arena of disobedience and remain obedient in your own heart. I'm telling you, you can't do it. You say, Trent, you mean to tell me I can't go into those arenas where people are lost? That's not what I'm saying. That's a, there's a difference in reaching out in ministry and being mixed up in. You know what I'm talking about? Being turned in. Being agitated, stirred up, mixed up to the extent that you then identify with that. Listen, I, I worked at, uh, for the Acapulco Corporation about 25 years. Now, is Jeff, Jeff's in here? He's going to know this to be true. Wes knows this to be true. Uh, one of the things they have a tendency to do when you work in a facility like that, if you have any say over the workforce and the placement of uh, particular individuals, you would have encountered this kind of principle as well as the repercussions of it. The principle is this. What they always try to do, you take a bunch of slackers that are on a given line, four or five people, whoever it is, and you deposit within them a really motivated leader. And the hopes then becomes that the really motivated over, uh, um, 
when I say successful or the, the extremely the, the high-reaching leader that you put in, in the, the group of slackers, if you allow me to use that term, the hopes is that he will take all five of those people and raise them up, the four or five, to his standard of performance. Motivate these four or five. You know what I've seen a thousand times over? The overachiever becomes mediocre amongst the group of slackers. So instead of raising people up, what has a tendency to happen is you reduce the performance of the overachiever that you have placed in the group with the hopes of elevating everybody. Jeff, how many times have you seen it? Wes, how many times have you seen that? And then all of a sudden, the guy that you used to look at or the girl you used to look at as the overachiever and so proud of, you're looking at her saying, or him, what's happened to you? Well, you put them there. What did you think was going to happen? I know what you thought was going to happen. But this is what really happened. And then he says this. Another hard thing. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. That don't sound right, right? We don't want to shame people. We don't want to shame people, right? That's... The reality, though, if we're really being honest at the core of who we are, the reality of living this out has more to do with your emotions and your own well-being than it does the individual that's, that needs some discipline in their life from your love. Because it makes you so uncomfortable to step into a situation that's going to require some discipline on your part and their part that you would rather concede that and just let that go. You're so emotionally invested in that individual that even to do, to do the right thing for their ultimate benefit is deterred by the emotional connection you have to that individual. You know how I know this? My mother-in-law runs a daycare, right? You say, what, what do you mean, Trent? Well, this. Every parent can discipline every other parent's kids well. But when they're emotionally invested in their own kids, the very thing that they're telling other parents to do to their children and teach their children, they will not adhere to that regarding their own children because it's too difficult. You see what I'm saying? It's too difficult. And so what we have a tendency to do, we look at this scripture, even though the scripture says this, we're like, ah, I can't do that. Then all of a sudden, the redemption of that person who has strayed away becomes your responsibility because you have what? Stepped out of the authority of God's word and decided to deal with this your way. Now the outcome is on you. You tracking with me? You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to give you some truth this morning over some hard stuff. Listen, let's close with this verse. Let's close with this verse. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. These individuals that he said don't get mixed up with, allow them to experience this shame. And that's, that's another thing in our culture. Let me say this. We are a culture that is so convoluted and distorted that we think that there is something wrong when people feel shameful or shame over shameful acts. 
rush in beside them. Oh, don't worry about that. That's all right. And you're like, don't feel bad about that. That's okay. When in fact the scripture would say that we become an agent of mocking to God. Because that's what the scripture says. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Everything a man soweth, so shall he reap. Do not, the scripture actually says, do not mock God. And we're looking at a person whose actions, whose lifestyle, whatever it might be, is shameful. And we're coming up to them and it's still allowing them to deal with their own conscience between them and God. We just shield them. And all of a sudden we get mixed up in all this. And all of a sudden we're right there with them in this. And what the Apostle Paul would say this, leave them alone. Leave them alone. Because you know what Paul knows that we don't understand oftentimes? They're never alone. When you leave them alone, you know who you're leaving them with? God. <laughs> and you know where that deep inner work is taking place, dealing with the issues of shame and, and disobedience in the heart of brothers and sisters in the faith. You know where it's best cared for? In the hands of God. You see? And Paul is literally saying in this moment, hey guys, leave them with the Father. Don't get mixed up. Don't be trying to work this thing out yourself. Leave that work to God. Why? Because you can't work it out. You can't fix that. Only God can fix it. Then he says this. Now this is the, the crux. You have, to under, you have to get this. Because some of this sounds really hard, sounds really difficult, but understand the motivation. And the motivation is revealed in the, in the very next verse. Listen, he says, do not regard them as an enemy. Do you get that? As difficult as it may be to carry this kind of life, life living principle out, no matter what they're doing, Paul is saying basically in this situation, do not look at them as though they're an enemy. The motivation is still love. And then he closes this verse by saying this, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. The Apostle Paul is saying, even in this type of discipline, we need to be about team redemption. That's what he's saying. Team redemption on this side. Team redemption looks like this. This is how God describes team redemption. And if you describe your redeeming efforts any different, you're not on team redemption. You're on your own redemption scale. Here's the reality. This is hard scripture, man. This is some hard stuff. Here's the reality. I want you to get this. Even in the most difficult relationship dynamics in your family, in the church, whatever it may be, love must be the traveling companion of all people who call themselves followers of Jesus. Love, but I mean, love must go with you 
Wherever you go, love must be with you with whatever you do. It must be the constant companion of the follower of Jesus regardless of how you're engaging people. Love must always be the catalyst. And so here we are as brothers and sisters trying to navigate a life that is extremely difficult in these, uh, 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 these dynamics of relationships that sometimes uh, we, we don't know how to navigate and God's given us directions and we have to make a choice in our lives as followers of Jesus. Are we going to stay under his authority and live this stuff out and allow God to do the work? Or are we going to step out and be fixers ourselves? Because I've watched you try to fix things. You know the conversations I've had with some of you. I've seen your great efforts to fix things. And you know just as well as I know, you fixing things just doesn't work. It didn't work five years ago. It didn't work 10 years ago. It didn't work last week. And it won't work next week, next month, next year. What I would say to you to encourage you this morning, my brothers and sisters, wherever you're at in your life, to allow the love of God to be that travel companion with you and to keep yourself under God's authority. Under, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there is no other hope. I promise you. I promise you. So the question begins with you. And the question is this. Are you under his authority this morning? For all this to play out, that's got to start there. Mom, dad, son, daughter neighbor, are you under his authority? I want your marriages to make it, but your marriage has got to be under that. I want you to be the best dad you could possibly be, but to be that dad, you got to be there. I want you to be the best mother you could be, but mom, oh mom, stay under there. So this morning, is, is that you this morning? Are you that person? Man, it was some short steps maybe. I kind of shimmied my way out. I'm not really that far off Trent, but I'm far enough that I'm beginning to feel the weight and the repercussions of stepping out from under that. Is that you this morning? And you want to just kind of say to the Lord this morning, it's okay, right? It's okay to say to him, forgive me. Father, let me back under there. Let me step back under there. I can't go back and fix all this stuff that stepping out is done, but Lord, I don't want to continue that. I want to, I want to get back under the authority of your word, of your spirit, of your presence. That's where I want to be. So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to ask Danny if he would come. Who is coming with you, Danny? Ben? This is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take communion this morning.
we're going to give you an opportunity. Amen. It, it don't have to happen here. It can happen in your seat. It can happen. I mean, God can hear, man. But I'm going to give you an opportunity as we come to take the articles of communion, right? The sacrament. As we come, I want you to ask yourself, as you circle this sanctuary, as you come down that middle row, that middle aisle, ask yourself, where am I right now? Am I under or I'm out of? And be encouraged this morning, brother and sister. In my life, I confess to you, there's been times that I thought I knew better. There's been times I thought I knew better than God. And and I've stepped out. I said, let me handle this. Let me handle this. I'm wise. You've heard Carrie say, Trent's wise. Oh, and I've stepped out. And I've wrecked things. Why is that? Because I'm not wise. He's wise. I've done that myself. And you know what that's required of me? Some repentance. And some stepping back in. So if you're that brother or sister this morning that's stepping back in, understand you're not the only one that's stepped back in. You're not the only one. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start on the outside. You guys know front rows to the back on the outside first. And we're going to circle around and we're going to come down that middle aisle. And we're going to take the elements. And you'll, you'll receive two cups. The bottom cup has the bread and the top cup has the wine. Not really. Has the juice. And we're all going to take these cups and we're going to return to our seats, whatever it might be. And we're going to take communion together as a family. But in that time and in that process, if you feel like in your heart, because you really know that you you need to do some stepping back in, take some time to do it. Please, please, please. Please. Would you guys stand with me this morning?